I'm Carl Ulrich, Vice Dean of Entrepreneurship and Innovation at the Wharton School, and this is Launchpad, where I talk to successful entrepreneurs about the secrets to launching and growing their startups. I'm really lucky to be joined in the studio, which I really love, uh, by Christopher Wolfington, who's chairman and CEO of FinPay. Chris, thanks for coming in. It's my pleasure. It's an honor to be here and kind of cool to be on the uh, University of Pennsylvania campus. Yeah, you, you live in the city. That's right. Yeah. I do. Um, lifelong Philadelphia person. Grew up in Villanova, Pennsylvania. Go Wildcats. Didn't go to school there, but this has been my home for my entire life. All right. Great. Well, maybe we have a few minutes at the end to chat a little bit about the Philly ecosystem because I'll be interested to get your perspective on that as an entrepreneur and as a longtime Philly resident. Um, let's start by, let me point our listeners to your website. So it's Finn. Pay just the word fin the word pay dot net. Chris, let's give you a chance to give us the elevator pitch. So, what does FinPay do? So, we are a patient financial management company. Uh, so, if you ask the consumer who we are, we're the company that helps take the stress out of making and managing their healthcare payments. Okay. If you're a healthcare provider and you say who is FinPay, they would tell you that we create a financial experience for their patients that equals the high quality clinical care that they're already accustomed to. Mm-hmm. Today's environment. The most good health systems provide great clinical care to their patients, but the financial experience is something far less than. And in fact, 100% of patients, the last experience they have with any medical situation is financial. Yeah, so I bet you don't have to poke people very hard to get them to tell you stories. Well, not only that, it's, it's, it's a problem that there's been a massive shift in the financial responsibility for care and how mm-hmm. it's paid for. So before we used to go to the doctor, even if we had a major surgery, if we had to pay $500 as the consumer, that was a lot, right? Yeah. In the last five years, uh, 5000 is today's norm. Yeah. So you can't have uh, that much money shifting to the consumer that fast without there being a proactive solution in the middle to, to help the, the patient, the consumer, navigate that like yeah. you would any other big purchase. Yeah. Could- yeah. So, so I, I would say... You know, I, I'm employed by the University of Pennsylvania. I'm sure we have one of the best health health insurance systems there is, and even I find it incredibly frustrating. And I can imagine there being at least two dimensions that are painful. One is just the pure administrative headache of you get that bill, you just ignore it because you know it's wrong. You wait for them to update it with whatever insurance it is. Eventually, after they start the bill collector calls you say, okay, that's probably what I actually owe, and you pay it. So that's one piece. That's at least my strategy. <laughs> and, I, and I'll tell you, I'll give you an yeah. analogy yeah. I tell to people all the time, because this is the norm. Yeah. So imagine if you got your car repaired, right? and you walk up to the car repair guy, and he says, all right, give me the keys. I'm going to fix your car. You, you don't even know what's wrong with it. <laughs> uh, he comes, you go to pick up the car, and he gives you the keys, and you drive away. He never told you what he did. Right. He doesn't give you a bill doesn't explain any of your financial obligations as part of the bill. And then 30, 60 days later, you get a bill for $3,500. Now, meanwhile, you've been driving the car right. for 30 or 60 days. What's the likelihood that you're ever going to pay that bill for right. most people, right? And then to make it worse, imagine if you're, uh, the Chevrolet sent you a little thing in the mail that said, oh, by the way, you got your transmission fixed. You probably should have only paid $3,100, and you're looking at a bill that says $3,500, and you're like, wait a minute. What's the real cost here? So you get explanation of benefits from your insurance company. You get a bill from the insurance provider. They rarely match. No one explained anything to you. Nobody told you the bill was coming. At the most part, the most proactive health systems I see, they'll say to you, 
uh, at registration. Oh, you owe us uh, $1,200. How are you going to pay that? And the patient says, just bill me. And they go, okay. Right. Amazing. So, so they're, they're, again, there are two parts of this problem. One is that you never you don't you, you don't have information and the information you do have is probably wrong and that leads to a perverse kind of consumer behavior but the second piece is it's 3500 bucks yeah. i don't have 3500 bucks so do you also address that piece of the problem so let's just talk about some basic trends going on so in 2016 there were 460 billion with a b dollars in out of pocket expenses for consumers whoa only 19% paid their bill so if anyone listening wants to know why healthcare is so dysfunctional mm. in the United States, it's because the consumer, the American public, do not hold up their end of the deal. You can't have- Wait a second. Hold Wait, on, no, you can't okay. have $400 billion not be paid and expect the ecosystem to thrive. Yeah, but is that 400, the beef I have, so now I'm an event as a consumer, that's funny money. No one is expecting the $400 billion to be paid, right? That is the funny money bill. Or is that the actual- No, that is the- that is the bill after your insurance. Wow. And so well, how I got interested in this business was I've been a payments person my whole life. Yeah. That suggests that 81% of the American public are deadbeats. I don't buy that. Yeah. I don't buy that. Yeah. So to me, it was like something's broken. Right. Like what's, what's involved in the process? Right. And what I realized was I go into the doctor and we're here at Penn, so let's talk about mm -hmm. University of Pennsylvania, best clinical care right. in the country. You could argue that's mm -hmm. in the top 10, right? But the financial experience is, is something horrible. And if you're in healthcare, it's because you're compassionate. You want to be a caregiver. You want to be a nurturer. You're there because you want to do well by others. So talking about money, asking for money, it's just not your DNA. Right. So uh, the other thing is there's no proactivity involved. So in every other business, mortgages, mm -hmm. right? So healthcare is now the fourth largest household expense mm -hmm. in the United States for a family. Mm -hmm. What's number one? Houses. There's 92% of mortgages today have a mortgage broker that helps the consumer right. deal with the complexities of that purchase. Number two biggest household expense is cars. Mm. Every car dealership, 100% of every new car sold in the United States has an F&I manager, that guy in the back yeah. room, the sales yeah. and and he talks about leasing and right. financing right. and different ways right. to, to afford it because it needs someone to facilitate that complicated purchase. The third largest household expense is food. We dish that out in 10s and 20s so nobody needs a guy, yeah. right? Yeah. So now healthcare is the fourth largest expense. There's no one that's assisting the patient, because I don't know about you, but I don't plan to get sick next Tuesday. Let's hope not. I may have planned to buy the house. I may have planned to buy the car. I don't plan to get sick. Right. So what happens is it's more of a crisis obligation mm -hmm. than a planned purchase. Mm -hmm. So there's already the stress and anxiety of the health part of mm -hmm. the, the, what's going on. And then to add financial complexities and expect someone to figure that out on their own, when EOBs come and bills come and I have the hospital bill and I have the doctor bill and the anesthesiology bill, it's not as much funny money as you pointed out as much as there's just a lack of managing of my expectations yeah. as a consumer. There's a complete lack of education on my responsibility. And then when you just add on to that that just a couple of years ago I was only paying $500 for the same type of procedure, where did this $5,000 bill come yeah. from? And that's sort of all of those dynamics are a recipe for dysfunction. Yeah. And FinPay is in the business of engaging the consumer prior to care and having a conversation with them about what their financial responsibilities are, what they owe, why they owe it, help them match them up to a payment methodology that, that fits their household budget ahead of time 
So there are no surprises if you're a patient that goes through the FEMPAY curriculum. And we help the, the healthcare provider recognize you just can't jam in a solution, expect it to work. You need to look at what is working currently, what's not working. Mm-hmm. So we do a lot of research and analytics in the mm-hmm. beginning so we know we're installing our solution the correct way for the environment that we're mm-hmm. working with. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, let's drill down on the solution. We have, I think, put all of our listeners in a state of horror thinking about all the pain they feel about this problem. So I think we've done a good job of that. Everyone understands the pain. Let's drill down on the solution. Maybe a practical scenario. So, I don't know, I've been, my, 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 my primary care physician says I really ought to think about a knee replacement. And so I'm, I'm thinking about that procedure. Uh, in fact, I got to have it done. Uh, walk me through in a system that uses FinPay, what is my experience? Yeah. So you would, uh, they would have identified if you had a high deductible plan mm-hmm. or you were a self-pay patient or you owed money from a prior bill. Right. So if you would fit into uh, what we call risk classes, they're basically patient yeah. situations. Yeah. So before we even went live yeah. at, a, at a, a deployment, we would have done research that said we know which patient situations are causing bad financial outcomes for both the healthcare provider and the patient. This would be for a particular provider? Yes. You would do this analysis? Yes. Okay. And yeah. so what that means is when one of these patients shows up mm-hmm. and fits into one of these buckets, mm-hmm. we designed a curriculum, an educational curriculum and a financial education curriculum yep that was focused on their situation. Mm-hmm. So if you're a high deductible patient, we might- Let's t- say I am a high deductible okay. patient. So, so what, the what conversation would be, hi Carl, I'm Chris, I'm with FinPay, and I just want to let you know that ABC doctor cares about your financial health as much as your physical health, and they asked us to help you navigate your financial responsibilities mm-hmm. for your upcoming knee mm-hmm. replacement. Uh, and then we would get into H, you know, discussions about your insurance plan and how it works. Mm-hmm. And if they're telling you that your bill's $3,500, we want to explain to you why it's $3,500, mm-hmm. what your deductible is, what your copay is, what those terms mean, how they how that math works so you end up at that dollar amount. Mm-hmm. We might talk to you about HSA accounts because if you're a high deductible mm-hmm. patient, you could benefit from an HSA account. Mm-hmm. We don't sign you up. But we educate you on what they are, and we use this bill as an example. You know, Carl, you could save 36% off yeah. this bill if you use an HSA. Yeah. So so let's, let's make it even more real. Is this happening to me over the phone before I schedule the procedure? Is this where, where and how? And is it happening? You've also described it in this very – it's very nice of the of the CEO, CEO to be giving me this this yeah. uh, counseling. But is it a human – is it a human oh, yeah. touch so, experience? So, yeah. so FinPay yeah. provides the payment specialist for two reasons. Okay. One, it's an immature market. Mm-hmm. And the healthcare provider staff, their DNA is not someone right. that likes to talk about money, right. let alone actually ask for it. Yep. Right? Our payment specialists are certified. They go through a three-week training mm-hmm. uh, curriculum. Uh, and every training and certification ends with me doing a mock patient call. Oh, and wow. I'm the person that acts like the patient. Yeah. And is it done on the phone? Or is there, do they Both. sit in a cubicle? Face-to-face and, yeah, and yeah. on the phone. So yeah. depending upon the type of risk class that it is and whether it was a scheduled procedure or it was an admission yeah. maybe through the ER, depends whether it's face-to-face or over the phone. So one of our customers is a, a, a local great um, behavioral health uh, addiction company called Recovery Centers of America. Mm-hmm. And you can imagine this tough, is a very stressful segment. patient, right? Yeah. And so, and money's difficult. Mm-hmm. If you're a, a drug and, and alcohol rehabilitation patient, this is a difficult time for you. And and recovery centers is is trailblazing, cutting edge, great business. Mm-hmm. Um, it's amazing what they're doing in that market. But they're not immune, sure, to the the financial struggles their potential patients have. 
So we speak to them prior to admission. And here's what's neat. In an environment where, 40, where only 19% of patients pay their bill, 74% of our patients that go through our curriculum are enrolled into a payment program of their choice prior to care. We're getting 43% of the balance the patients owe in the form of down payments prior to care. That's literally 300% more than the industry gets over the yeah. whole life cycle with the yeah. patient. And it works because an educated consumer really is your best customer. Mm -hmm. Remember that old Sims commercial? Yeah. And the other reason it works, this is a funny antidote. Consumers, when, when a person is thinking like a consumer, they're skeptical. They don't, they're not very trusting. Right. Patients, however, completely different mindset. So when you go to your physical, Everything the doctor says is right? true. When yeah, the nurse yeah. tells you to go in the exam room and take your clothes off and put on the robe with you, your, just do it. You're just yeah. doing it. And then the funny part is nobody ever questions that. Right. I don't even know this nurse and she's telling right. me to do this. Right. So we like to talk to people why they're still thinking like a patient. Mm -hmm. And FinPay's program at the core is the education and talking to them when they're a patient and being fair and managing their expectations and answering their questions, even if that means we have some phone calls that may take 30 minutes. Why? Because the consumer isn't, only when the consumer is comfortable is our job finished. Yep. And that, and a, and, a, and a more confident, comfortable patient is better clinically, financially, and has higher patient satisfaction scores and feels better about the clinical experience. Mm -hmm. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Launchpad on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM, Channel 111. Chris, so give us the origin story. You alluded to you have been in the payments business, but tell us a little bit about the origin story. Yeah. So um, FinPay started, when I first started noticing healthcare in a prior payments business, we did a uh, uh, sort of a pilot program lending money to consumers for uh, medical expenses. This mm -hmm. is going back to 2009. Mm -hmm. And then, so when 2015 came around and all this discussion about deductibles and right. co-pays going right. through the roof, high deductible plans, and I'm between uh, my significant other is a very accomplished physician and listening to her talk about, mm -hmm. you know, patient obligations and this is the mm -hmm. problem. And I, you know, you're a payments person. I start to look around and yeah. and I realized, wow, $460 billion, that's a lot of money. And I thought, wait a minute, only 19% pay? Oh, that's, that can't be right. Did some research. I'm like, wow, that's right. And so when started to look into the problem, to me, the solution because I've been in consumer payments yeah. for so long, there's you know some fundamental rules. Yeah, People don't pay things they don't understand. People don't pay things that aren't simple. And people don't pay things where they don't have a variety of options on how to pay. Mm -hmm. And I looked and I said, healthcare doesn't do any one of those things. Mm -hmm. And I said, wow, what if I had a business that provided those three mm -hmm. things? And that's sort of how FinPay started. Then I got very lucky. Um, I, I even brag to people, I have the best cap table and angel supporters, literally, event, I'll say, of any company uh, in the country. Mm -hmm. um, my uncle Eustace Wolfington, the, the, my uncle that invented car leasing for consumers, uh, forced me when he decided to help me and participate in funding the business, but only after I did research and went and hung out in hospitals and actually watched what actually was happening. Wow. It wasn't good enough what I thought was yeah, going on. Yeah. He said, come back to me when you know. Yeah. I'm not interested in what you think. I'm yeah. only interested in what you know. And at first I was like, well, that doesn't sound like a very nice guy. He's my uncle. Mm -hmm. But it was the best advice mm -hmm. I ever got. Mm -hmm. uh, there's three guys in Philadelphia. Um, I call them the three amigos, mm -hmm. three 
senior executives that don't have to work anymore that single-handedly support the angel ecosystem wow. in Philadelphia. Yeah. A guy named uh, Arthur Spector, who is my personal mentor mm-hmm. uh, and friend, as well as uh, he's on our board. Bob Keith, who was the founder of TL Ventures, gentleman by the name of Pete Albert. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pete is a, a very successful bank executive. Uh, these guys probably individually fund 150 small startup companies. No one ever hears about them. They don't do it for the fanfare. Yeah, they've you know they've been very successful in their own right, and they have just this massive amount of knowledge. Yeah, and I get to tap into it. Amazing. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and I'm 52 years old, and when I started this business, I said I need a mentor, and I yeah. went to Arthur, and I said Arthur. Can I come to your house every Wednesday morning? And I'd knock on his door at 8 a.m. We'd sit around the table when it was just an idea phase. Mm-hmm. But I got encouragement when I was mm-hmm. making the right decisions. And I got a stern talking to when I was, you know, going in the wrong direction. Uh, but with those guys, another guy named Ned Moore, who's on my board, I, I no way would we be having the success we're yeah. having now. Uh, besides my management team is top-notch. Uh, Jen Nucci, who was... Uh, former product person at eBay is my v- VP of product. Lauren Anderson, who's our VP of operations, years of experience and worked with me a long time. Uh, John Ziegler, our CFO, has uh, been in medical insurance for the last 17 years. John Hubbard is our platform engineer. You know, these are people who without their input every day, with without their encouragement, even though I'm the CEO, don't kid yourself, yeah. you need encouragement, yeah. right? You need someone cheering you when you're doing the right thing and you need to be Slap on the hand when you're going the wrong direction, and I just have the greatest people around me, and that's why I think our success has been so yeah. tremendous. Amazing. Well, I want to take you back to that to the origin. You had this idea. You kicked it around a little bit. What did you have to do to actually pilot it? How did you think about what you had to test, and how did you find a lead dog to let you test it? Um, in my case, I'd love to say it was this great talent, and we were, but the problem is so big and so severe like our first customer, they were only capturing 11.3% of the money they were owed by the patient. Wow. Think about that. Yeah. And as that, you know, when they're doing their budgeting and forecasting and looking how much of the bill the patient owes, right. and they see the office of the actuary says it's going to be 30% of the bill by 2024, it, five years ago it was 1%. Right. Today it's 8 to 10%. Yeah. You know, it doesn't take a, a rocket scientist CFO to see the writing on the wall and say, right. we got to do something. Right. All the other competition in the marketplace are either financial products or still services and solutions that are addressing the problem 30 days after the care is given. Mm-hmm. It's already too late. If right. you, if you, I don't care how good your solution is. If you're addressing the problem 30, 60 days after the fact, you already lost, you don't know it. Mm-hmm. So we just realized we had to start it prior to care. Plant the seed. At the very minimum, have the dialogue prior to care. You may not get them enrolled into a payment program until at care or maybe shortly after, but as I said, do 74% of our patients are prior to care. And the yeah. best part is they actually feel good about it. We get, how about this? Somebody will pay us a couple thousand dollars in a down payment, sign up for an interest free installment plan for thousands more, and when they're done the phone call, they thank us. Mm-hmm. That's how you know you did your job right. Yeah. When somebody thanks you after they paid you because their their norm is confusion and chaos and uncertainty, and we just vaporize that. Yeah. And it's good for the provider because the patient should remember the clinical experience. Mm-hmm. The financial should literally be something they don't even think about because mm-hmm. it's already been taken care of. How well the doctor the hospital cared for them in their time of, of crisis, healthcare mm-hmm. crisis, is the only thing that should matter. Mm-hmm. The financial should not be something in their forethought. And by addressing it early, you get it out of the way 
and people can focus on getting better. Yeah. So that's the social good we do. Yeah. But I, I want to get you into the weeds a little bit on this, though. Sure. So, so think about that first customer, and and you, you had never tried it. Um, did you... Did you set up the cubicle in the shop? Did you were in there in there in the provider's office? Did you set up a phone call? Was it you on the other end of the phone? How'd you think about what in the current startup vernacular we'd call the minimum viable product and how to get it launched? So yeah. we started out doing forty-four hours of research with that customer, mm-hmm. where we looked under the sheets and covers, interviewed the stakeholders of the financial experience for the patient, and actually shadowed the uh, boots on the ground workers that touched and interacted with the mm-hmm. patients to identify those risk classes. Yeah. What are those situations? I see. We then created a customized, you could call it a script, we call it a situational mm-hmm. conversation. So we knew that once For we had, each of those segments, each for each of those, those segments. risk risks. So just causes, like population yeah. health will target and segment clinical risk, yeah. we target and segment financial risk. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't the first. I was the first guy in the chair. I do make a policy, and I hope this can continue no matter how big we get. That the first person in that chair is me. Mm-hmm. Uh, Meaning the first customer service representative yes. is going to be. And I you. do that yeah. for two reasons. One, my uncle's lesson to me about knowing, mm-hmm. not thinking. Mm-hmm. Knowing. Mm-hmm. Secondly, I never ask anyone on our team to do something I'm not willing to do myself. Mm-hmm. I don't care if it's not being the trash or being the CEO or anywhere in between. Uh, also, with our first customer, one of our payment specialists got sick, and I spent 18 hours from a, a, a 9 a.m. to 11 p.m. Uh, working as a payment specialist early on the one time. Wow. And But, you know, that's what you do. When you're an entrepreneur, when the trash is empty, you empty it. When the doorbell rings, you answer it. And when you need to be a payment specialist for 18 hours in a single day, you do it. But right. it, it also was the, it turned out to be the best thing because I, I, I got more profound knowledge and understood how patients think when they're on the phone versus we do have scenarios where we talk to them face-to-face. It's yeah. not always over the phone. Yeah. All right. So I, I easily understand the benefit proposition on the consumer side. It's even more obvious what the benefit proposition is on the provider side. If I can nudge that up from 19% or 11%, a few points, that, that's going to be pure profit. H- how do you guys get paid? So FinPay... Doing the analytics and research stage based on the scope of the engagement, mm-hmm. we get a fee for doing that, that analytical work. So in a the, consult, in the yes, a setup yes, cost, yes. yeah. yeah. Uh, and then we get paid for in the uh, payment programs that we enroll patients in. Mm-hmm. So you patients can choose between single pay programs with credit cards, debit cards, checks, ACA, HSA accounts. We also have installment plans that most hospitals offer, but they 100% of them are not in compliance with consumer protection laws. <laughs> so we have a compliance suite. Mm-hmm. So we get paid for you know, putting those installment plans. So kind of like easy pass, but for medical payments. That's how I explain it to people. Mm-hmm. So we have a payments platform, a technology that is able to facilitate consumer loans, consumer installment plans, single payment programs, and automate everything from start to finish, including the, the consumer communication. So as claims are adjudicated, there's adjustments to your bill, you get these mm-hmm. automated emails. So we use high-touch engagement where it has a value with the people, but we use automation once the decision by the consumer has been made. Awesome. Okay, well, we just have about a minute left, and I'm going to put you on the spot and ask you to tell us how we fix the U.S. healthcare system. Yeah, that's, to, to me, that's... In a minute or less. It, it, yeah, it's not just, it's not, a, it's not one answer. Yeah. So uh, I think that... The, the ecosystem needs to be set up where 
for number one free market. Mm-hmm. I do agree with uh, opening up competition across state lines. That's a per- just a personal point of view. Mm-hmm. I think anything we do, not just what FinPay does, but any organization, company, provider that gets the consumer to engage, because you can't have four hundred billion dollars out of three point two trillion just not working. Right. Because no matter how good you do everything else, someone's got to pick up that slack. Right. And today it's the government, it's employers. It's the other consumers that are paying for their health care. Yeah. So I think it, it, there needs to be balance. And probably if I was going to pick one thing, that would be it. There's got to be balance in the ecosystem where everybody's holding up their share. All right. Well, good answer, and you did it in a timely way. Uh, Chris, this is super interesting, and thanks so much for coming in. It was really fun. I was glad I could come. All right. You can visit FinPay online, finpay.net. I'm Carl Ulrich, Vice Dean of Entrepreneurship and Innovation at Wharton. Launchpad is produced by Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, on Sirius XM Channel 111. The show airs live on Wednesdays from 7 to 9 p.m. You can find more episodes of this podcast on SoundCloud or on iTunes.